This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, and especially are we delighted to have those who may be watching for the very first time. Of course, we appreciate those who watch every time we come on the air. Today we're going to be discussing this subject, Jesus' Last Words. I hope that you will stay tuned as we discuss that very interesting and I hope very profitable subject. Today on our telecast, we're continuing to offer a free Bible correspondence course. We have literally thousands of people who have enrolled in this Bible course. We want you to have it. We want you to profit from it. And I would like to emphasize it is free. I'm aware of the fact that often there are things that you hear advertised not on television and many other places, and you're, you're sort of led to believe that it won't cost you anything, but then once you get involved in it, there's a charge. Let me assure you there's no fine print here. When I tell you that it is free, that's exactly the, what it is. There's no cost to you. We want you to have it. It won't cost you any money. We want to pause now for just a moment so you can learn more about the course and so you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free. 1-877-711-5214. During his ministry, the, the Lord chose varied and picturesque places to do his preaching. In Jericho, it was on a crowded street. Down by the shore of Galilee, he he got in a boat. Likely the greatest sermon the world has ever heard was on a mountain when Jesus taught the woman of Samaria. He was at a well. When he was in Jerusalem, it was at the temple. But the last message of Jesus the last words of Jesus were from the cross. Before Jesus was crucified, he was scourged. Jewish law required 40 stripes, save one. He was scourged by the Romans. And we do not know the extent of that scourging. The instrument used was a whip that, that was composed of several pieces of leather weighted with pieces of metal or bone. And following the scourging, the cross was placed upon his back. 
And as Jesus was on the way to the place of execution to Golgotha, he fell beneath the weight of that cross. And Simon carried it to Calvary. Finally, they come to Calvary. There is a hushed silence. They are about to witness the most ghastly form of execution known to man. The Son of God is spread-eagled on the cross. The soldiers raise a mallet to drive slivers of steel into his precious hands and feet. And then he's raised up on that cross. If you listen, you might hear the tearing and the searing of his holy flesh. When the Savior was lifted up upon that cross, he raised pained and tortured eyes. He saw Jerusalem. He saw curiosity seekers. He saw timid disciples. Perhaps he saw the temple, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. And we know he saw his mother. It was while on the cross that Jesus uttered seven statements. And it is fitting that these words be preserved. His word has never died. There was not a bone of his body broken. And there is not a word that he uttered that has been lost. I want us to think about the seven statements that Jesus made while he was on that cross. The first is found in Luke the 23rd chapter and verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ first spoke to his enemies. Men usually spoke when dying by execution. And they expected Jesus to say something. And his words were words of mercy. But for whom did he utter those words? He uttered those words of mercy for those who clamored for his blood. For Herod who robed him like a fool. For, for Pilate who feared the people. But for the soldiers who fastened him to the cross. Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. Was the prayer of Jesus ever answered? When he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Yes, indeed. That prayer eventually was answered on the day of Pentecost when on that occasion those who had been guilty of his death asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
And Peter told them to repent and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Next we hear Jesus saying, Today you shall be with me in paradise. That word is found in Luke 23 and verse 43. The second person that Jesus spoke to was a thief. This thief had defended Jesus. He was the only person who had the courage to own him as king of kings, and he was a thief. Some people ask, was the thief saved? Can I be saved like the thief? Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Someone says, well, the thief was saved without ever being baptized. Well, he may have been baptized by John the Baptist. We do not know. But this I do know, that the thief lived and the thief died prior to the last will and testament of Jesus being enacted. In Hebrews 9, verses 15, 16, and 17, we are taught that a testament is a force after men are dead. And it was not until his death that the last will and testament of Christ, that is the gospel, was enacted. All of the blessings that you and I receive today are not upon the basis of the covenant that was enforced during the lifetime of the thief, but our blessings are based upon the conditions that are found in the last will and testament of Christ in the gospel. And in the gospel, Jesus said, Go ye into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. The next word Jesus spoke was to his mother. In John chapter 19 and 26, he said, Woman, behold thy son. Jesus died as her Savior as well as mine. But he was her son. She couldn't give him a cold drink of water while he was on that cross. She, she couldn't wipe his feverish brow. All she could do was watch him die. And he was concerned for his mother in dying. And he was addressing the issue of her being left without him. And now she was to be the mother of John. I believe there's a lesson our Lord taught us on that occasion and we should care for those of our own who are aged, for aged fathers and aged mothers. May we never turn our backs upon them. But then in Mark the 15th chapter and verse 34 is another of Jesus' last words on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? This was spoken about the ninth hour. Darkness was on the earth. 
And then Jesus uttered this pathetic cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There seemed to be something about the cross that Jesus wanted to avoid. God withdrew his presence from his son. Jesus was dying as a propitiation for the sins of the whole human race. 1 John chapter 2 says he is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But then in John the 19th chapter and verse 28, while he was on that cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus was both human and divine. It appears that his humanity is speaking. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 reminds us that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who, who was tempted in all points like as are we yet without sin. Everything that we experience in the human body was experienced by Jesus. We experienced thirst. And so did our Lord while he was on that cross. He was given vinegar to drink. He asked for water, but they gave him vinegar. And that was a sedative for pain. How often do we give Lord, the Lord vinegar to drink? He asked for the best years of our lives, but we give him dregs of our life, the leftovers. We, we listen to the story of his love, and yet our lives are unchanged. We, we shed tears at the thought of his dying, and then we turn right around and we grieve him with our sins. Jesus said, I thirst. And then in John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus said, It is finished. The scheme of redemption was complete. The old covenant was finished. In Colossians, the second chapter, in verse 14, Paul wrote, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, taking it out of the way, and nailing it to his cross. When Jesus died, the old covenant was finished. The New Testament was inaugurated in Hebrews the ninth chapter in verse 15, 16, and 17. The writer said, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So when Jesus said, it is finished, 
The old covenant was finished. And the new covenant was inaugurated. In Matthew 26 and 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. He sealed the New Testament with his blood. Today, in the age in which you and I live, that is in the Christian age, we are subject to the New Testament law. We believe the Old Testament to be true. It's not a matter of whether we believe it to be the Word of God. Indeed it is. But it served its purpose in bringing men to Christ. It was abolished and now we live under the New Testament law. Jesus said, It is finished. A battle was fought and the battle was won. It was an unusual battle. You know, when David fought Goliath, he had five stones. Jesus had five wounds. And this was not a battle where you would hear the steel rattle, but you could hear the dripping of blood. Satan laughed with glee when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But Satan is the one who was defeated. It is finished. And the scheme of redemption was now made a reality. Paul in Galatians, the fourth chapter in verse 4 said, And when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And God's plan for the redemption of man is finished. It is finished. And then while He was on that cross, according to Luke chapter 24 and verse 46, Jesus said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. The disciples were crushed by the death of Jesus. They saw his body sag on that cross. Tears filled their eyes. Likely some of them may have turned to go home saying, he who came to give Israel hope is dead. But friends, that's not the end of the story. He not only died on that cross, but he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Tender, gentle hands took that body down from that cross, and he was buried. But then three days later, he was raised from the dead to die no more. His work, his work of redemption is finished. But let me ask you, what about ours? He built the ark of safety. We must enter it. 
He has knocked at the door of our heart. We must open it. In Revelation 3 and 20, standing outside a lukewarm church, the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and, and he with me. And it may be that you have never in all of your life thought about opening the door to Jesus. You have never entered in through the door into the ark of safety. In John chapter 10 and 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. So you see, you need to enter the door. We learn from John 10 and 9 that when you enter that door, that you're saved. Jesus is the means whereby we can be saved from our sins. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And so Jesus right now is on trial in the hearts of men. He was on trial, for sure, before the cross. And, and Jesus right now is on trial in your heart and in mine. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus? Pilate asked that question. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And at some point in your life, at some point in my life, we have to come to grips with that question. Some would reject Jesus. They would say, I believe that he lived, I think it was a good man, but that's all. Some say, I believe that it was a prophet, but he was not the Son of God. But the fact is, he was the only begotten of God, John 3.16. And God sent him into the world for you, and he sent him for me. And it was so important that he came into this world to die on that cross. And the issue right now is between you and Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Now, there are some things that you can do with him. You can accept Him on the terms that He has set out in the Bible. That is, you can obey Him. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, John 14, 15. And if you love Jesus, not only will you believe on Him, but you would repent of your sins. You would confess that you believe and you would be baptized into Him for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. So you can accept Him or you can reject Him. Unfortunately, many people reject Jesus Christ. 
In John 5 and 40, Jesus said, And ye would not come unto me, that ye might have life. And there were those in Jesus' day who rejected him. Isaiah predicted that rejection in Isaiah 53 when he said that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so Jesus was rejected. That's one thing you can do. You accept him or you reject him. But you cannot remain neutral. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said either you're for me or you are against me. You either accept Jesus Christ or you do not. And I would urge you to think seriously about the question, what you will do with Jesus. We all know what Jesus did for us. He went to that cross. He died upon that cross for our salvation. And I would urge you to do the right thing with Jesus. Now in the closing moments, I want to urge you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. You'll find people who believe in Jesus. You'll find people who, who are, are trying to live a cross-centered, Christ-centered life. And I want to urge you at your earliest convenience Visit the Church of Christ in your community. Also, I, I would like to urge you right now to, to, to make arrangements to receive the free Bible correspondence course. Please call the telephone number you've been given so that you can have the course. And I want to remind you, the course is free. It is free. We want you to have it so you can learn more about this man called Jesus. That you can learn more about what you must do to be pleasing in His sight. So don't hesitate to call for the Bible course. I had someone the other day to tell me, Brother Lambert, I, I, I called and I, I have that Bible course. I called a man on the telephone. I'd heard that he watched our telecast and he wanted me to call him. And I, I, I called him and he said, Brother Lambert, I, I, I watch the program all the time and, I, and I'm taking that Bible course. We want you to be among that number. There are literally thousands of people throughout the United States and, and in many, many foreign countries throughout the world that are studying this Bible course. And they'll tell you, they'll tell you, it didn't cost any money. All it costs is a little bit of your time, a little bit of effort on your part, and you can learn more about the will of God. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 205-336-7000.
1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.